Good morning, everyone. This is the first show without Paul Valley. He is in Sarasota this week, but I'm Zach Goodman. He's Kyle Ottenheimer. Uh, you know, thanks for listening to us this morning. This is the bat around from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Kyle, how's it going this morning? You know, can't complain. Happy that baseball's <laughs> just around the corner, even if yeah. the Orioles don't figure to uh, necessarily shape up as playoff or World Series contenders this season. It's always fun to have spring around like right there and yeah. you know, the fields looking green, the grass looks nice and the players hopefully will make some strides and get closer to where we're trying to be as a team, you know? Yeah, I mean I, I said it on your show yesterday, but there is, you know, it, it's probably gonna be a hundred loss season, but th- at least there's some optimism. You know, for, for the Orioles. I mean, even on opening day, there's a little bit of optimism there. Look, I am a, I still have the romantic baseball type inside me somewhere. Yeah. And, and ultimately, like, I do get excited about tracking the yeah. progress of prospects and players who we think could figure into the Orioles' rebuild when they do all, you know, hit the ground running, maybe 2022, 2023, whenever it may be. Yeah. And probably a little later than 2022. But regardless, right, like, Guys like Mountcastle, guys like Stewart, guys like Hayes. These guys could stake claim to being legitimate parts of this organization's future. And so that is exciting to me. I genuinely do enjoy watching those guys go out there and play. Yeah, and, and we only have one show after this one left before opening day. So it's really, you know, we're really coming around the bend. It's, it's about to happen. Opening day is almost here. And the good news is minor league baseball will start up about a month after that, which I think a lot of Orioles fans are probably going to look forward to more than the Major League season this year. I mean, seeing Adley Rutschman, Heston Kerstad, Gunnar Henderson, probably going to be excited. I know you probably will make it out to a few games. I'll make it out to a ton, hopefully. Sure. Um, it'd be nice to go out to the MLB Draft League, which is starting up soon. So, you know, I'm excited for everything to get going. And like I said, only one more show before opening day after this one. So, yeah, it's, and it's, it's coming. You know, as far as if you're in the Baltimore area and this proximity is concerned, I mean, Aberdeen has moved yeah. from the short season to the full season a-ball team, so there will be some bigger names playing baseball just 30-some-odd minutes away from a lot of people around here. So Yeah, and then Bowie, opportunities. Is, Bowie as well. I mean, no Ad, Adley Rutschman probably sure. starts at Bowie. You know, and again, Grayson fans, Rodriguez. what the situation is for fans this season remains to be seen at the minor league yeah. level. You would imagine, like, everybody wants to have fans in the stands, but there are certainly, you know, processes that need to take place and evaluations about what they're capable of doing and what they're allowed to do. So... You know, TBL, TBD, I should say. But, yeah, of course, the players, the Orioles prospects at the AA level and below and hopefully sooner to the AAA level and above, right? 
are yeah. what fans are going to be keeping their eyes on. It won't be so much oh the win loss record for the Bay Sox so much as it's well what's Adley Rutschman hitting? How many right. homers does he have? Right? right? How's Grayson Rodriguez look? Is DL Hall throwing strikes? All that stuff. But definitely, right. there's a lot to look forward to in the Orioles minor league system. Well, the Orioles took a step towards opening day this week. They signed it looks like what's going to be their new third baseman, Michael Franco. Um, you know, Rio Ruiz has played there for the past few years, but he's not been a guy who's been incredibly productive. He's a fine player. Rio Ruiz is a fine player. He's a bench player. And it makes sense to bring in Franco, a guy that's experienced. He played along Freddie Galvis for a lot of years in Philadelphia. Um, you know, he, he's not a guy who is going to be a great defender. Um, sure. He has is a horrible, horrible, horrible DRS numbers. Um, some of his analytics will show you that he, he will be – you know, not very fun to watch defensively, but he's got a lot of power. He has 20-plus home run power. He, he's a guy who, you know, gets on base at a, a solid clip, um, and, and he's an upgrade over Rio Ruiz. He's not a great player. There's no one saying Michael Franco is going to win MVP, but he is a solid addition to this team. There's already a lot of power in this lineup. You look at Mancini, Santander, Hayes, Mountcastle. It's already a powerful lineup. You add in Franco to that. This lineup becomes really, really powerful, and it's it, it could be one of the better lineups the Orioles have had the past three years. So what do you think about Michael Franco? Are you excited about this one? Um, excited is it's a relative term, right? He's a name yeah. who we've seen be an up-and-comer at the major league level probably four years ago with right. Philly, and he looked like he was staking claim to being a really good baseball player there for a second. And obviously his bat will drive his value, but... He has not necessarily taken the steps that we thought he might to get to that point in his career. Otherwise, he wouldn't be on the Orioles right now, right? Right, yeah. That's not to say he doesn't have potential, though. And I'm all for, personally, any move that Michael Elias and company are making that has an eye on the future. That Look, he's not somebody I'm expecting, like I said earlier, to be around in 2023 when the Orioles are trying to actually compete in the AL East. But he is somebody who there's a non-zero percent chance could play well this year and have value with the trade deadline, right? Exactly. If a team yep. needs a bat and Michael Franco, I think he's a right-handed hitter with yep. some power, right? Those sorts of things, and the defense doesn't help. Maybe he shows he's more capable at third base than people thought, right? Give him a chance to sort of prove some weaknesses wrong. And that's – I'm all for that. I'm all for the Orioles – using their roster spots, using their starting spots to showcase players who could be valuable to other teams. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I think the Orioles look at Michael Frank and really anyone they sign as a potential trade piece. I mean, you look at Felix Hernandez, Freddie Galvis, as I mentioned earlier. These guys are all possible guys who could get dealt. because they and they're not going to net you top right. 100 prospects. You look right? at like the Tommy Malone deal last year where they got two players to be named later. They ended up being you know, not guys who are really going to even crack your top 30 prospects, but they're depth pieces. They're guys I that could, the could Mi- turn into something down the road. The Miguel Castro trade that they made with the Mets last year, I believe it netted them their current 12th-ranked prospect. Right? Yeah, like, and in the new rankings, he yeah. actually got moved down to 19. But he's still Right, like it's the idea prospect. that you're looking – I always say I trust more than I've trusted any Orioles – front office yeah, and sure. staff and you know player development and scouting department. I trust Michael Elias and company to at least know what they're looking for and not have any wavering convictions as far as the type of players they want. All we've heard about their background is a scout central, and obviously they right. feature a lot of analytics and they have some algorithms that I won't even begin to claim to understand. But I know they know what they want. Right. So if they're going to go and say, like, I'm going to come through this system and I'm going to take your 15th ranked prospect because I think he's maybe better than that or he'd be better for us. I'm all for it. I'm all for the Orioles experimenting at the minor league level and basically 
getting as creative as possible because they're already a little behind in that department as far as that's concerned. You'd like to see them in the international market. It's good to see them spending money there. And hopefully those you know, make inroads in the major league level in a few years. But they need to be turning every stone in order to try and make ways to become the organization they're trying to become. Yeah, and the Franco signing is kind of interesting as a whole because he's, it's an 800K deal, one-year deal, major league deal, uh, 200K in incentives, and there's also a bonus if he's traded. What's also worked in that into that contract is a clause that says he can be optioned to the minors for the first couple weeks if he isn't ready. Obviously, that's going to be the alternate site down in Bowie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could spend two weeks there, three weeks, who knows. But I would expect, you know, he's been working out. He's been in Florida. He probably cracks this opening day roster, I would expect. Um, you know, but the real question is the Orioles have given out one major league deal all offseason, and that was to Freddie Galvis. Now you look at Michael Franco, and this is late. Obviously, this is a late March signing that doesn't happen that often. What are the Orioles giving out an, a major league deal for at this point? You know, what it, what is the point of them doing this? Is it to get, you know, a few extra wins? Is it to get a guy to trade at the, at the deadline? That's that's kind of the question you have to pose when you look at the signing. You can look at Rio Ruiz and you can say, okay, he's not a productive player. He's not a player. But sure. Mike Elias came out this week and said, it looks like Rio Ruiz is going to be on the roster. That that is the that is the assumption. And does maybe Rio Ruiz have any options left, right? Can Rio he, he does Ruiz, have options left. So yeah. it's it's a flexibility thing to an extent it, it, with Ruiz, right. right? Like you have why would you get rid of him if you're able to keep him kind of thing. But with right. Franco, look, it would be I'm not gonna bet on Michael Franco being a productive major leaguer this season, right? Like that's a long odds bet. He wouldn't have been available in March for $800,000 if teams as a, as a whole thought he was going to be a productive player. So you can, you can say that and you can ask, well, then why are the Orioles doing it? That's still not to say there's not a chance he could find it. And, Look, they're long odds. They are long odds right. that Michael Frankel becomes a guy that is worth somebody's top 20 prospect. Those are still long odds, but it's still worth the shot. Now, for $800,000, somebody might say, well, if you cut him, you're not really no losing that yeah. much, right? It's not like this is dead money for football, right? Like, it's a salary capitalist league. You're just going to have to eat $800,000. The Orioles, for some organizations, it's easier to do that. I know the Orioles are sometimes a little spendthrift, and so they don't like doing that, but you're not risking that much, right? Like, ultimately, if it doesn't work out come early June and he's hitting, like, if he's producing Chris Davis-type numbers, right. you can just end the experiment. Well, speaking of Chris Davis, I think Chris Davis is is a good reason why this signing happened because Chris Davis is expected to start the, uh, the season on the 60-day injured list, which love opens it. up a spot on the roster, and right? I, like, I, I, I still, love it, too. Look, I have fond memories of Chris Davis as an Oriole yes. at times, but I, you know, we all are aware of what's going on right now. Right, and if Chris Davis goes to the 60-day injured list, which looks like that's the case, the oblique injury is not one that you want to rush back. You know, it took Richard Blyer six months or so to get that back. So it's not a thing that just, you know, you can turn around and play the next day after it. So the Orioles will probably do that and make that move soon. And that opens up another spot, which Rio Ruiz could take as Michael Franco becomes the starting third baseman. Um, now, if we look, you know, across the roster, there's openings at DH. You know, obviously Franco could play at DH a little bit. He could play some first base. Um, so it's a nice signing that gives the Orioles a little bit more flexibility in their lineup. Unfortunately, though, he does... The Orioles certainly have a lot of corner outfield, they do. third base, yeah. first base types on the roster, right? Like guys who aren't excellent defenders, but their bat will drive their value. And so you, you, know, you only have so many spots to use those type of guys. And in a perfect world, they're all hitting to deserve at bats. But <clears throat> that's a little bit of, I guess, 
you know, the, 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 the wheat and the chaff, ultimately, the guys who are producing will get playing time. Yeah, for sure. And and so there's more news this week. Orioles and Masson announced they would uh, broadcast two spring training games, the 23rd, the 25th, and then for the Nationals, the 28th, the 29th. This has come after a long spring training of waiting for the Orioles and Masson to broadcast spring training games. You see the Pirates broadcasting every home game. The Angels have broadcast every single game at all on the road and at home. Um, you know, and a lot of Orioles fans have been very upset saying, you know, we own our own network. What is the reason why we can't put a phone in center field and record these games? Something like that. It would take no effort, no money at all to, to even broadcast some of these games through Orioles social media. But finally, Masson has stepped to the plate and given us some games at the end of spring training here. It would have been nice, I guess, to see the Orioles, uh, you know, do this a little earlier. But that's, you know, what, what we get, I guess. We get, we get, you know, two games, two games for the Nats. Are, are, is it too little too late for you, Kyle? Or I mean, are you look, yes. Ultimately, yes. Yeah. But you have to acknowledge the context and circumstances at hand here, right? right. Like the Orioles, Masson, baseball as a whole are clearly in a bit of a cash-strapped position after the 2020 season. Um, it's no secret that Masson had to cut some costs entering the year, right? They laid off some of our most, you know, most favorite and beloved voices, for the Orioles. Um, money's clearly a factor in that. Now, it's it's disappointing that they wouldn't have known or gotten ahead of what was and, and would have been a great moment for just sports with Trey Mancini's return in spring training, right? To not broadcast that, Trey that Mancini's first game, right. first game back, that's a miss, right? Like, that's a miss. Agreed. But the Orioles have never shown every spring training game so not that that's right not that that's the way it should be but I've grown accustomed to it so you know it's no surprise that they're handling it the way they are in the future hopefully we can get to the point where the Orioles will broadcast every spring training game but that'd be nice yeah yeah maybe the next ownership group that comes in you know inevitably in a few years here it looks like the Orioles will be most likely, I don't want to say anything definite, but they could be sold in these next few years. Maybe they make some changes to Mass, and maybe we get more spring training games on TV. But it's always a good chance, and I've said this before, to see guys that you don't usually get to see. You know, no doubt, if, yeah. you're, if you're not making it out to spring training, if you're not making it out to spring training yeah. or minor league baseball games, you're not going to be able to see an Adley Rutschman or totally. a Grayson Rodriguez pitch in these games. I so, agree. No, I mean there's an argument that this is. These are the games that some fans would be more inclined to be interested uh, yeah, in sure. than the regular season ones because you will be seeing those names. Um, no, I, I don't disagree. And it is, it is disappointing, but at the end of the day, like, I can't sit here and tell you that like, even the games I've had the opportunity to watch, the ones that have been on MLB Network, I'm not right. realigning my schedule at any point for a spring training baseball game. You know what I mean? Most people are thinking exactly the way you do. Right. Yeah. So it's... It's not going to get me up in arms, but it is sort of obnoxious that I do pay a monthly fee for the regional sports network for this cable, right? Like, I'm forced to pay this if I have cable, if I want to watch the Orioles, and I can't watch the Orioles. So, you know, li you know pragmatically, not ideal. Now, also in their statement, the Orioles announced they would broadcast every regular season game for the Nats and the Orioles, which is 
just kind of the norm. I wouldn't expect anything different. And I that they, I wouldn't they, need an announcement. I they, shouldn't. You shouldn't need an announcement. They, they for that. specifically mentioned this, which was they did a, also a little say bit they're doing thirty minute pregame and postgame. They though, did say so that. Is that a change than what they were initially? So in the initial Dan Connolly article, I believe it was in the Athletic. He said that it looked like they were going to do away with postgame and pregame as well, but that doesn't seem to be the case now. Thirty minutes um, it would be pretty close to normal if if we look you at the past think, couple yeah. years, right? So and, and that could be the change would be. The broadcasters will be doing like both the, the pre and play post. Play-by-play and color analysts. Right, and, instead yeah. of having a Tom Davis, Rick Dempsey sort of thing that sure. the Orioles have had over the past few years. But, um, you know, it, it's just a little bit odd to me. They had to specifically come out and say, we're doing all the regular season games. Here you go, guys. Like, yeah, I was, like was that it, ever not on the table? Right, like, I mean, I, I didn't think that was even in question. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess we're getting everything, so I guess we should be happy about that. I guess. Um, you know, so in more news this week, Felix Hernandez had a perfect inning and then left the game with uh, a little bit of elbow discomfort, which obviously for any pitcher, especially a guy at his age now, it's a little bit concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no MRI scheduled, but I'm not sure a guy who hasn't really been stretched out all that much, really past four innings at all, is going to be able to make the opening day roster at this point. Do you think Felix Hernandez is still in line for that number four starter spot, or do you think he's no. going to start on the IL? No. The Orioles couldn't have made this move penciling him into the rotation, right? I mean, right. look, his track record the past few years, look, we can set aside what he was. He was one of the best pitchers of his generation, absolutely dominant. His win, win numbers do not reflect how good he was. That said, right, like he was allowing home runs at a pretty obscene clip last year. And that was in a pitcher's park. Now he'd be moving to Camden Yards, throwing mid-80s. It's not a recipe for success, right? It's, like, it's not. It's in, a, it's in a hitter's park, like you said. And he's going to go around the AL East where you look at the Yankees and the Red Sox, and they're all hitter's park. So it's going to be probably an uphill battle to even be work himself into that trade value. And now with the injury, it's it's really a situation where I'm not sure he's he's on this major league roster opening day. I, no, I just don't, I don't see it. I wouldn't bet for it. Like I mean, it's especially with the injury, right? The injury makes it even more cloudy, right? right? He would have to have pitched well in order for that to be the case. And one inning is one inning, right? Like you know, the worst pitcher can get one perfect inning. Sure, it's sure. just a matter of there's enough guys that are intriguing in the mix for the fourth and fifth spots, that it's not something that I feel you need to force and just hand to a guy like Hernandez or a guy like Matt Harvey because of their previous track record. Like, this is, you know, it's 2021. These guys are eight years removed from their best ball. So We're going to talk about all this later. We're going to kind of look at the, the lineup, the starting rotation, see where the Orioles stand at this point. Late in March now, we're only, you know, really under two weeks from opening day, so it's getting close. It's coming up. Um Kyle is going to get Stan the Fan on the line. We have Stan the Fan at 1020 for his normal segment as usual. And then Craig Heist, who covers the Nationals for 106.7 The Fan at 1050. Um, Right now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Orioles' defense, which has been really a problem for the Orioles all of spring training. The Orioles, nobody expected them to have a great spring training in really any parts of the game as far as hitting, uh, pitching, and then obviously defense. But the Orioles' defense has looked absolutely atrocious. Another five errors last night. Five errors in a single game. And, you know, obviously these guys are not all the Major League starters on the roster, but there were quite a few guys who are the Major League starters who were making errors last night. Freddie Galvis has had a little bit of a rough off uh, spring training as far as defense goes. Trey Mancini has had some big trouble picking balls at first base. The defense is starting to worry me. I, I think the defense is getting to the point now 
that I'm really starting to get concerned about what the Orioles are going to be all year. And now you just went out and added Franco, who's another guy who is really not a solid defender. He's, he's very, very negative in all of his analytical categories. The defense looks like it might be a problem this year. Ryan Malcastle, he still had trouble in left field. It looks like it hasn't gotten that much better in spring training. I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm a little bit worried. Kyle and Stan, I'd like to know if you guys share the same concern about this with me. Even though it is spring training, the defenses look really bad. Really, really bad. I mean, I think there's reasons for concern, ultimately, right? Like, there's no reason that you should be trying to put a bunch of poor defenders out on the baseball field, but a lot of the times those guys are the ones available at this point, right? right? Like, So it is not surprising. You'd just like to see them have guys coming through their system who are not poor defenders, right? If they were drafting and developing a guy who, like a shortstop, who has a known butcher with the glove, that would be an issue for me. But as of now, these guys who are placeholders until that point, again, the Franco thing doesn't make me upset because he's a bad glove. I'd rather them just try and find some sort of value where they can, ultimately. Hey, Stan, good morning. You there? Good morning. Yeah, I'm here. Um, I, I really don't know enough you know, because I'm not seeing any games. I'm not really listening to that many games. I know when I've seen Mountcastle, the couple times I've seen him, he's actually, this even this spring training, he surprised me with his speed and coverage uh, out in left field. I have no qualms about Mullins or Hayes, and Santander's solid. He's not spectacular because he's not fast. He's very similar to like a Ken Singleton in that regard. And from all that I know, Sanchez and Galvez come with good, with good um, you know, reputations defensively. In fact, Sanchez is a gold glove winner. Uh, first base, I mean, Mancini and uh, Mountcastle will most likely man that. They're going to be adequate over there. Uh, the catching, I think, is horrific. Uh, I think Severino... And Cisco are two of the worst defensive catchers that I watch on a, on any basis, you know, regular basis. But overall, while I don't think it's a great strength of the team, and we're not in the top echelon, uh, our record is not going to be determined by by poor fielding. So obviously, another reason that the Orioles are going to have a little bit of issues fielding, and you you mentioned some strong points. Obviously, Hayes, Mullins, those guys are going to be the strong points of the Orioles' defense for sure, and we're we're definitely aware of that. But when you bring in a guy like Michael Franco, and I'd love to get your thoughts on what you think he is as a player and why the Orioles brought him in, but does his defense concern you as well? Well, first of all, you alluded to the fact that does the defense worry me, and you made a reference to the five-error game. Uh, Franco hasn't played a, uh, an inning yet for the team, so any any defensive deficiencies they've had up to this point have nothing to do with him in spring training. Uh, he's not a plus defender. Uh, he's a plus bat. Um, I, I look for the... I look for Ruiz to probably make this team and be a late-inning replacement for him defensively, uh, but I think he certainly brings a lot more pop uh, to the plate than, uh, than Rio Ruiz. Uh, but I could see it still morphing into a little bit of a semi-platoon and a lot of late-inning replacement games uh, where Ruiz comes in in the 8th and ninth. 
So I suggested this before on the show, but when you look at Franco, and then, as you mentioned, Ruiz looks to be on this roster at this point. Who's the odd man out? Does Chris Davis go to the injured list? Is there a place on this roster for both of those guys? Well, I don't think there's any question that Chris Davis goes on the uh, IL list. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm frankly, at this point in time, uh, I guess I guess they're 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 juggling a couple things, and they're thinking maybe because next season there might not be a season that they wouldn't have to pay him. Uh, so that's a substantial saving, so it'll keep them around. But uh, that that thing is just uh, an uh, the optics of continuing to keep him get uglier and uglier by the day. But he will not be on the opening day roster. I would think that Valeka or Urias would be the uh, odd man out. Uh, or, or uh, you know, they keep 13 pitchers and then they could probably keep both of them. Yeah, I would agree with you. But what do you think the Orioles, what was the reason to sign Michael Franco? What was it, What prompted them to do this? Was it the mediocre play of Ruiz? Was it the day of injury overall? What, it, it, to go out and sign a guy to a major league deal, that's something the Orioles haven't done a lot of. You know, they, they generally sign guys to minor league deals and just see if they work out. To sign a guy to a major league deal that's generally cheap, it, it just kind of surprises me. Um, what, do you, what do you really think prompted this? Well, I think that Ruiz's offense is – is deficient you know it's not look look the Orioles this year are about trying to develop a couple of young pitchers at the major league level in Kramer and Aiken and Zimmerman they're trying to to develop them they're also trying to develop the next group of Bowman Lowther Wells they're trying to develop them at the minor league level so this team is going to live and die a little bit in its win-loss record by offense. So that's why Mikel Franco was brought in. This club, you know, for all for all its deficiencies, and it's not an incredibly strong team, but it does have a chance if Mountcastle's as good as we think and Mancini, you know, comes back and sort of doesn't really miss a beat, um, it's got a chance to be a pretty interesting offensive club, uh, you know, with four or five in Santander. Uh, it's got a chance to be a fairly decent offensive club, and that's where they're going to try and win ball games. That and using a rather shortened version of uh, the pitcher usage, you know, they're going to have a lot of games where there's four or five pitchers pitching. Yeah, and every team obviously is going to need more pitchers this year because guys only were able to throw, you know, a limited amount of innings in 2020, yeah. given that it was a 60-game season. Um, speaking of pitchers, I, I do want to talk about the Orioles' starting rotation a little bit. Uh, Matt Harvey, you know, he's pitched okay. He, he's been nothing special for sure. Wade LeBlanc. When, is it, when does he do to start again? Today? Tomorrow? Uh, he does start today, yes. Today, okay. He starts against the Yankees tonight at 6.05, but he's been okay. His stuff is getting better. He's hitting 96 on the gun. Wade LeBlanc, I think all Orioles fans, we all kind of know what Wade LeBlanc brings to the table at this point. He had an 8 ERA last year, nothing special. And then obviously Felix Hernandez, who's suffering from that elbow injury right now. Where does the rotation stand for you? Who, who wins that 4-5 and five spot? Is Bruce Zimmerman, Jorge Lopez? Who are the options the Orioles have now? Well, the disappointing one's been Kramer a little bit. He's pitched a couple times where he's looked okay. Uh, that outing last night must have been a pretty ugly outing against Pittsburgh. Um, it, it sure looks like Means has got a spot. 
unless unless Harvey uh, like falls all over himself or gets hurt, he's got a, a spot. I think Aiken will be in the rotation, and I think Lopez will be in the rotation, and I'm guessing Kramer will be in the rotation. But LeBlanc and Zimmerman are going to be there to absorb the you know the long relief roles and um, uh, and also get some spot starts if there's another injury or a tired arm, which starts to happen around this time too. You know. About two weeks into the season, you always hear about starters having tired arms. Uh, it's sort of that that that, uh, that build through that they have to do to really get ready for the season. Yeah, and there's a guy, obviously Keegan Aiken, who has you know really kind of locked down that number three starter spot. You at least you would assume, and he's really yep. only pitched out of relief so far in spring training. Do you buy into that at all? Is there anything to 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 you know basically take from that? Now it's been interesting. The the better performances they've gotten have really been guys coming in in that long relief role. You know, Zimmerman has pitched I think three times in that role and hasn't allowed a run. Yep. Georgie Lope, Georgie Lopez has pitched. He may have started one game and relieved in two or three, but he's been very good out of the bullpen. And Aiken's better efforts have been out of the bullpen. I just think it's a coincidence. But, uh, you know, uh, certainly the Orioles are going to need long men out of the bullpen. And don't be surprised if by May we're not seeing a a Bowman or a Lother come up also in that role because the Orioles are going to go through pitchers. The other day I was listening listening to the Tampa Bay broadcast, and and, uh, Andy Freed and Dave Wills were talking about their pitching staff. They expect to use 30 to 35 pitchers this season. That's Tampa with good pitching is expecting to use 30 to 35 pitchers. I don't know where the Orioles are going to get, would get 30 or 35 pitchers. Do you, Kyle? No, not necessarily, but I was actually wondering in general about what you think and how prevalent the opening strategy will be for the Orioles with, like you mentioned, the inning limits on all these arms. Do you think we'll be seeing a lot of pitchers we may be expected to be seeing in five plus inning stints, throwing three inning stints on the back of each other kind of thing? You know, it's interesting. I've been a big proponent of that the last couple of years because of what the Orioles had. I really think that they'll either do more, six-man rotation if if the cards play out that way or depending upon a couple long men uh, out of the pen. You know, Zimmerman and LeBlanc initially. So uh, I don't think the Orioles will use the opener often. I, 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 I would generally agree with that. I do want to talk about the bullpen a little bit too because it seems like the bullpen is kind of one of the more set pieces for the Orioles, you know, only two weeks out from, from opening day now. But one of the guys the Orioles obviously just lost, we talked about it last week a little bit, but Hunter Harvey, um, you know, he got placed on the 60-day injured list this week. Are you disappointed to see that, is, or is that what you kind of expected? Well, I, I wrote a piece for PressBoxOnline.com that got released yesterday. I wrote it Thursday night, and it got uh, released yesterday called, uh, you know, is Hunter, is the, uh, Hunter, Hunter Harvey, is the juice worth the squeeze? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not a two- or three-year, one- or two-injury thing with him. He is damaged goods. 
Uh, I'm not suggesting the Orioles should run and release him, but the notion that just a month ago we were thinking this guy would really be capable of being the closer on the Orioles and all that that means. I mean, this guy has has not pitched back-to-back games for the Orioles or I think in a minor league affiliate uh, <clears throat> over the 19 or 20 season. Uh, so the notion that he was going to somehow come in and save 30 games is rather ridiculous. And I think Agreed, the Orioles yeah. have to really pump their brakes on any expectations that he's going to do anything. And in my article, I really, I know I'm beating the dead horse a little bit, Zach, but I think it's pretty obvious that they made a major miscalculation leaving Zach Pop um, unprotected this year over people like Austin Wins, Chris Shaw, and taking not one but two lottery tickets in uh, Max Scroller and Tyler Wells and leaving Zach Pop out there to be exposed, and he was picked up by the Diamondbacks, but immediately traded, which means that the Diamondbacks and the Marlins had a deal, and uh, they've picked up, I think, a, a stud in uh, relief pitching. You know, his his numbers, he, he didn't start pitching until 19. He was traded, when I say start pitching, he didn't make for his professional debut until 2017, he was traded in uh, July of 18 to the Orioles from the Dodgers, uh, and he pitched 80 total innings in um, in relief over 57 appearances. Had an ERA under two, had struck out um, over 80 batters, so roughly one per inning, uh, and he also had an incredible ground ball rate, which is what you're trying to do uh, if you're a relief pitcher. So. They made a major miscalculation. It's interesting, uh, Zach Pop, had he not had one injury, his his uh, torn uh, his Tommy John surgery, he would have been on the Orioles by last year, and they they jumped to get sort of not protect him, and yet they've done everything to sort of baby and and sort of take have the training wheels on Hunter Harvey, and they're going to get virtually nothing out of Hunter Harvey. So with Zach Pop, you know, it is probably the most questionable decision Michael Elias has made in his tenure here. I, I think generally he's made pretty good decisions. I've, I've supported... Yeah, the only, the only other one that sort of rivals it, but I'll, I'll say it wasn't as obvious, is Mike Yastrzemski. You know, they, the, the fact that somehow between Duquette and him and Showalter, uh, Elias, Duquette, and Showalter, they never saw fit to really bring him up and take a look at him. And he's turned into a very solid kind of, I won't call him a superstar, but he's sort of like an excellent baseball player. Yeah, he, he he certainly is, you know, really, he was in the conversation for MVP you know, about, about halfway through the 2021, uh, 2020 season. Now, talking about Zach Pop, you know, like I said, it is really questionable. What do you think the reason was they, they did leave him off the 40-man roster? Was it the Tommy John surgery? Were they that scared to, to actually give him a chance? I... I I think what happens, and I've seen this happen in business as well as as baseball teams or basketball teams, when a new regime comes in, they they value their own eyeballs more than who preceded them. And they sort of can't wait to get rid of what was so they don't get sort of shown up that the other guy really knew something. 
Uh, and I think it's really no more than that. You know, I, I remember when Pat Gillick drafted Jason Worth. He was a catcher at the time. But Pat Gillick, I remember reading about, and this is when he was the GM of the Orioles, you know, his, his thing was the genetics. Uh, Jason Worth's mother was an Olympic athlete, and he saw something very special in Jason Worth. Well, when Pat Gillick left after year three and uh, Sid Thrift came in uh, replacing um, Frank, uh, Frank Wren took uh, Gillick's place, and Wren didn't really last more than the one season. And then Sid Thrift came in. Sid Thrift didn't let the paper dry on his contract before he traded Jason Worth and didn't get much of a return at all for, for Jason Worth. We got some pitcher from the um, Toronto Blue Jays that we then flipped for Gary Matthews Jr. It was almost like a three-way deal, but it wasn't concocted in the same day. Uh, and, you know, you, you really scratch your head at why the Orioles got rid of Jason Worth, and I think it's the same thing. As well, we didn't draft this guy. We didn't trade for this guy. He can't be that much. We're smarter than our predecessor. Yeah, people, I, I, that's people it. People fall into that trap a lot of times. It's a sort of an insecurity of wanting to prove that you're smarter than the previous guy. So speaking of that bullpen, there are you know now spots open with Hunter Harvey going on the injured list. Do you think Mickey Giannis could be a guy that Mickey Janis, Mickey Giannis um, could be a guy that could take that spot? The knuckleballer who has really caught some attention around the league for that insane, you know, knuckleball no rotation movement that he has. Um, is that an interesting piece to you? Obviously, he's not a prospect. He's 33 years old, so right. you know maybe maybe the Orioles wouldn't be as inclined to take him. But is that someone you could see making a, uh, a debut this year? I think he could make his debut in 2021, a major league debut. But I don't think he's—I don't think he's on the team on opening day. Uh, to me, the biggest, the biggest winner out of Hunter Harvey's injury is I think Colt Solcer is going to get a leave. Even though Evan Hanold has three saves down there, I think Colt Solcer is going to get another look as the closer or co-closer along with Valdez and Tanner Scott. I think those are the guys that will get the saves. Armstrong, of course, is an important arm. LeBlanc and Zimmerman takes it to six. Paul Fry takes it to seven. Uh, you know, and uh, I guess Lakins might have a leg up at this point in time. Dylan Tate over Mickey Giannis. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, I think. And, and there's another guy that... I think he's close to cracking the bullpen at this point. That's Tyler Wells. You know, the Orioles made a point yeah. made a point to fill these 240 spots with these Rule 5 players. It's almost impossible to see at this point that they'd send both of them back. I could see one of them. I think Scroller, I don't really have a lot of confidence he's going to be on the team. But Tyler Wells makes a little bit of sense. Um, what do you think the Orioles could see from him, and do you think he has a good chance? Yeah, you know, you make a good point. Part, part, of, that, part of that thing and it's a it's a cover-your-ass mentality, is, oops, we made a mistake on Zach Pop. Exactly, yep. We can't admit it was that big a mistake, so we'll keep one of these guys. And and I will admit that Tyler Wells, to me, is an interesting, he's an interesting guy. Uh, Scroller, I've never seen him. His numbers don't yell out to me like, hey, you should pick me, I'm I'm really good. Uh, I know, you know, I know Ben McDonald's his uncle, uh, but I don't see much compelling about keeping him. 
but Tyler Wells is a compelling guy, and he could also, along with Zimmerman and LeBlanc, possibly be that guy. You're you're trailing four to nothing in the second inning, nothing to lose. He comes in and bridges you for three to four innings. You know. We're talking to Stan the Fan from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Now, Stan, there are some more roster battles going on. Obviously, Richie Martin versus Ramon Urias. Richie Martin hasn't played at all, but he could be a guy that could definitely have some at-bats for the Orioles this year. I think Brandon Hyde is a big fan of, of Richie Martin and what he brings to the table. What, what's the status of Richie Martin? Do you think he's, you know still, still plays a big part in the, in the Orioles' plans for 2021? I think he barely had enough time you know, to win a job, you know, and my gut feeling is telling me that he's not going to impress enough immediately to beat out Urias on opening day. And the fact, and I don't know Urias's option status, but the fact that Richie Martin has options left, I would think it's probably to his, in order to his benefit to even just go to the alternate site and play in these sort of glorified inner squad games and maybe two to three weeks at uh, Norfolk when they start playing around May 1st and maybe be ready to pop back up if he performs well and shows a little bit of an improved hit tool that he would be up around June 1st. That's when I think Richie Martin could, could be there. And it's an interesting timing, too, because if Galvez is having a nice year and somebody's missing an infielder, one of the contenders, that would be June, July when you start looking at dealing Galvis. Yeah, I, I think Pat Vileka, you know, he's obviously another super utility guy for the Orioles. He could be a guy that could be dealt at some point, have some value. You know, he can play shortstop, can play the corner outfield spots. There may be some value in Pat Vileka, too, where the Orioles will be able to bring up, you know, a guy like Richie Martin. And Pat Vileka, you know, he is so valuable to the Orioles, and he only makes, you know, barely over a million dollars. They paid him arbitration, but it was a cheap arbitration year. Um, yep. So may, maybe they could figure to to trade Vileka at some point. Um, now, the Orioles did make some cuts to the roster this week. They're starting Starting to trim it down. Some of the prospects have gotten, you know, cut so far. Bannon, Diaz, Nevin, McKenna, and Taylor Davis were the notable cuts this week. Are you surprised by any of those guys, or or did you kind of expect that? No, I'm not surprised at all. It did look like Brandon Hyde and the organization wanted to give more than a cursory look at uh, Tyler Nevin, uh, Phil Nevin's son. Phil Nevin, of course, the Yankees' third base coach and also a former solid big league offensive performer. His son is a big boy, uh, first baseman, DH type. Uh, and, and Brandon Hyde was, was curious and wanted to see him play and gave him probably about 12 or 14 at-bats, I'm guessing. I don't have the number in front of me. But it's not surprising. He didn't, he didn't do much, but uh, uh, he's the type of guy that is on their radar as a guy who could – could one day in the not too distant future bat his way up into the big leagues. Yeah, I, I definitely think Nevin is going to be here pretty soon. And, and talking about that topic, who is who is the guy that really stands out to you to be the first guy to the majors out of those guys? Is it Diaz? Is it Bannon? You know, the Orioles could definitely have some infield needs. Bannon could fill a fill a hole here or there. But with Richie Martin coming back, maybe not. Who who is the first guy that you really see breaking into the majors? Well, you mean aside from hopefully Adlai Rutschman? Well, sure, right, yeah. Uh, aside from him, you'd, you'd like to see Usnail Diaz finally uh, 
prove, you know, that he's he's major league or very close to major league ready. It was just a little disconcerting. I don't think his numbers are horrific in the in spring training, Diaz. But every time I looked at a box score in the games that he wasn't doing something like you know getting a hit or hit, hitting a home run, I think he had two home runs. It, I saw a lot of seemingly a lot of strikeouts. Uh, so he he has through, struck out a considerable amount. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, look, uh, the Orioles are not the first team to get sort of uh, uh, flamboozled by the Dodgers. Uh, you know, touting somebody that's really special. I think we see now with Diaz, he might be he might be a serviceable major league player and maybe even a little better than that, but he's not a superstar uh, type of player, in my opinion. And that's what we were sort of led to believe, that the Dodgers had given him this huge 5 or $10 million signing bonus out of the Dominican Um and uh, that's what makes the losses act pop so tough is that we really didn't get anything now out of that trade for Machado. Yeah, that, that's certainly the case. And, and I think Diaz has a place on this team. I think they're going to have to find a, a, really a place for him to play, essentially. But I, I think he will be a solid player. I think he will be uh, at least useful for the Orioles. And, Stan, before we let you go, um, yes, you do your weekly power rankings of, of around the MLB. Can you talk about your top 10 a little bit and then where the Orioles factor into the top 30? Well, the Orioles are a, a 20, I think 26 in my most real. I'll, I'll probably have a mock uh, that I'll come out with again. It'll be my second or third mock. Uh, but the, uh, the top 10 for me are the Dodgers, the Padres, the White Sox, the Yankees, um, I also think the Mets are in my top 10, um, and I apologize. I should have looked at it last night. I got caught up in all that basketball action. Uh, but I, I, I'm trying to remember. St. Louis I had at number five. I think the Arenado uh, trade is going to really help them a lot, but they've got some some pitching issues, and I was really surprised they didn't really go more aggressively after Jake Odorizzi because they've got two or three starting rotation injuries. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's, you know, rounds out my, my top five or six right now. But I'll have a new mock-up, and every Monday uh, during the season I'll have a, uh, a new list up. Awesome. Sounds good. We'll be looking forward to seeing that. Uh, thank you, Stan, so much for coming on today. Always a, a uh, pleasure to have you on. Thanks for coming I wanted on. to tell you you're doing a superb job. You're thank much you. Appreciate than, that. You're much better than that guy, Paul Valley. Paul, Paul is listening right now. He's been in contact with me, so I'm sure he's going to appreciate hearing that. <laughs> right, <laughs> that thank, thank you, Stan. Thanks appreciate a lot. It. Talk to you soon. Bye. And if you're missing the Stan the Fan fix, Stan the Fan Charles has two great shows for you every week. And like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with Orioles pitching legend Scott McGregor. And Stan and Gary chatted with the author Kevin Cowherd about his new book, You Must Be Cinderella, detailing UMBC's upset win over Virginia in 2018. Both of these shows can be 
found under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. This Monday night at 8 p.m., you won't want to miss it when Stan and Ross catch up with the great Ken Singleton. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at c3america.com. The Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. We're going to catch a break, and we'll be with Craig Heist when we come back. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. Winter is here, and while the months are getting longer and colder, the hot stove is just heating up. I'm Paul Valley, and you can listen to me and my co-host, Zach Goodman, every Saturday morning on the Bat Around from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. We'll have all the news surrounding the Orioles and Major League Baseball as we head into spring training and the 2021 Major League season. That's the Bat Around Saturday mornings from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. right here at PressBox Sports. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. This is GlennParkRadio.com. Welcome 
It is not Glenn Clark Radio. This is the Bat Around. Zach Goodman here with uh, Kyle Ottenheimer. And now on the line we have, covers the Nationals for 106.7, the fan, Craig Heiss. Craig, how's it going today? Hey, how you doing, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on the Saturday morning. Um, kind of big news for the Nationals and the Orioles, I guess, both, that Masson hadn't broadcast any spring training games up to this point, and now they've announced they're going to do one on the 28th and 29th for the Nationals, 23rd, 25th for the O's. Are, are you surprised by this? Is it too little, too late? You know, I, Kyle and I both agree it's it's not the best at this point. Well, I mean, if you're asking me whether or not I think it's too late to uh... – to cover games or to broadcast games in spring training. No, I don't think it's too late, but, you know, uh, I mean, let's face it, between the pandemic and a lot of what happened and still with the lawsuit and everything, uh, I mean, I'm not necessarily surprised by all of this, but you're going to get some baseball, and some is better than none in the spring, and uh, the one thing I think we do know is that all of the games are going to be broadcast once the season starts, and that, to me, is the important thing. Yeah, Masson came out with that press release that specifically announced they were doing all regular season games. Kind of seemed a little bit odd to me, considering that that's kind of a given, in my opinion. Is that surprising to you at all? They they went out of their way to say that. No, I don't really think so. I think that was probably a given. And uh, uh, I mean, I I get what they're trying to do. I mean, it's obviously it's a money saving issue, and they want to try to do that and and try to save as much as they can. Sure. Because, uh, you know, it does take a lot of money to put on TV broadcast and every day, and I'm not necessarily taking mass inside on that. I'm just saying uh, I'm not surprised that we just saw two or we're going to see two exhibition games for each team. But uh, uh, once the season starts, I think everything kind of goes back to normal. Yeah, I, th- I think part of this, and, and a good reason Masson could have done this, is they don't want you know to expose their broadcasters to anything. They don't want to have them down in spring training if they don't have to be. So I think that's a that's a good part of this. And speaking of the pandemic, obviously the Nationals had announced that it didn't look like they were going to have fans to start the season, but now it looks like they're going to have 5,000 fans, um, about 12% of the capacity of Nationals Park. Is this surprising to you? Did, did you see this one coming? And how excited is everyone to get back to Nationals Park? Well, I think D.C.'s government is a little bit different than some others that you might see across the country. Very true. Uh, in, in terms of that, but uh, uh, I, I think the you know everybody talks about following the science, so uh, uh, I think they're trying to do that as best they can. Uh, but I, I also think they see what's going on around the country too, and. Uh, you know, to, to be able to have fans in the stands at some at some point in fashion, uh, I think is a good thing. It'll seem a little bit more normal. But uh, you know, we've gotten our guidelines uh, from the, from the press's standpoint in terms of you know getting to the ballpark, what's it going to take, and you know what you have to adhere to. And uh, you know, I think it's going to be a, a good while before all of that is lifted. Uh, but uh, to me, it's a start after what we went through last year with the 60-game season and not having anybody in the stands and having to cover all of the games pretty much remotely. Uh, I, I think it's a, a good start, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to the ballpark. I know that. Yeah, and Craig, how does this work for yourself and the other, uh, the other media members? Are you going to be at some of the games and, and you know, being able to see stuff from the press box, or is that kind of on hold for right now? Well, as far as I can see, you know, you're going to have credentials, and you know, you'll have season credentials for the people that cover on a regular basis, but you're still going to have to go through a daily request because 
uh, teams have to, and then they have to do it 24 hours in advance because teams are still going to have to figure out uh, how they're going to seat people in the press box and, and, and keep the social distancing and the protocols in line. So from that standpoint, uh, I think you kind of pick and choose in terms of importance as, uh, you know, what you're covering and why you're covering the game. I think you have to make a decision in in that regard and kind of respect the feelings of others uh, who are trying to to get in and cover the game. Uh, Everything is still going to be done by Zoom call in terms of, uh, you know, access to players, which we have no physical uh, access to them, no clubhouse open, no no pregame or anything like that. So all of your press conferences are still going to be Zoom. So from that standpoint, it's really no different than it was last year. So, speaking of the Nationals' offseason and what they've done in spring training so far, how, how would you grade this out? Has it been a good offseason that they add to their needs? You know, the Nationals kind of struggled quite a bit in 2020. Obviously, they still want to make a playoff push. They want to be a playoff team. Did they do enough, and have they played well enough in spring training where you could see this happening? Well, I think health is going to tell the biggest uh, part of that and, 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 and how healthy they come out of spring training and how healthy they – continue to stay uh they got a little bit of a setback yesterday uh because i i think heading into this season what mike rizzo did in the off season to try to bolster the bullpen and also get a couple of more bats in that yep. lineup after the departure of anthony rendon i think he did a pretty nice job with it now the other part of that is uh from a pitching standpoint you had uh you know the beginning of spring training you had max scherzer with uh you know, an ankle injury at Steven Strasburg with a lower back injury, uh, you know, just a, a mild back strain, but he's back thrown. He went five innings in a simulated game yesterday, and from all indication, he came out of that fine. Uh, since Max has gotten back up on the hill, he's been Max Scherzer pretty much in his spring training, uh, throwing the ball really well, and uh, he looks like he's ready to go. Patrick Corbin's not been as effective, but you certainly expect him uh, to to step up and be ready by by the time the season starts. And John Lester made his first start uh, back on Thursday after he had the thyroid surgery, and he threw a couple of innings, uh, allowed a run on a hit, and struck out two. Had a really good changeup. Uh, I saw that game on TV. Uh, so I mean, he he was brought here not to be the main guy, obviously, but to to be you know, the fourth starter, if you will, uh, and, and I think he's going to be a, a really nice compliment uh, to the big three at the top of that rotation. And really, in the end, uh, I think that's what determines whether or not you're going to be a contender for, for a playoff spot at the end of the year is just how how healthy you stay and how well your pitching staff performs. And, you know, from from a bullpen standpoint, yesterday we got some bad news uh, from, from the uh, – Will Harris news as uh, he's got a small blood clot, had an MRI, had a small blood clot in his right arm, so he's going to go see a specialist out in St. Louis uh, sometime early next week and get that looked at, and his timetable is certainly up in the air, but uh, the way Davey Martinez made it sound yesterday, it doesn't look like or it doesn't feel like he's going to be with the team when the season starts, so that's part of the bullpen which I really think coming into this season, when you look at some of the guys in it, uh, is probably the strongest bullpen coming out of spring training that Mike Rizzo's put together in quite some time. Uh, because there's been other years where the bullpen has always been a little bit of a question between 
who they had out there and also the health of the pitchers that they had out there. So we'll just have to wait and see how it all shakes down. Uh, you know, keep in mind that the 25 you leave spring training with, or now 26 who you leave spring training with and, and head north with to start the season in about three weeks, that's all out the window because of roster moves and, and, and days off early in the season. Uh, for the, it's never the same team that you leave spring training with. So, But, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how it all turns out. For sure, and I, I do want to talk about Steven Strasburg because he's obviously, if he's healthy, he is an extremely big piece for the Nats and getting back to the playoffs in 2021. So he's kind of dealing with two injuries right now. It, it seems like he should be ready to go, but what's the status of Strasburg, and is he 100% yet? Well, it looks like he's back throwing the ball really well. Uh, he had a start uh, uh, and, and came up uh, you know, with that little bit of a twinge, and uh, now it looks as though he's back and, and and throwing the ball really well again. I mean, I mean, if he can return, and we again we go back to health. If he can return to the form that he had in 2019, uh, you, you know, and and stay healthy all season. I mean, just just go back to the playoff run that he had uh, when he was healthy. I mean, I think he won 16 games that year. Uh, but the, the 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 fact that he was able to go five and zero in the postseason, and and pitch the way he did, he was one of the reasons why the Nationals were able to win the World Series in 2019. Uh, you know, between him and the way uh, you know Max wound up gutting things out during the course of that postseason, uh, it was kind of hard to get Max through five innings uh, in that postseason. But uh, he answered the bell each time, and between that and what 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 Davey Martinez wound up doing with kind of a two and three man bullpen at times uh, to kind of stay away from what was really a, a bullpen that took its fair share of criticism uh, throughout the entire 2019 season they were still able to get it done a lot of that too had to do with the the fact that they were able to put runs on the board and in that run do it late uh, you know you go back and you look at it and you, and you look from the middle of September through that postseason the amount of runs they scored after the seventh inning and the amount of two out runs that they scored after the seventh inning. It's, I'm not sure you're going to see a run like that anytime soon out of those two categories. So, uh, again, health health is everything, and now you're back to playing 162. You know, he had the surgery. You go back to Strasburg, what you were asking me. He had the surgery uh, to, to fix the carpal tunnel. And uh, he seems to be fine, and uh, he's throwing the ball really well from all indication down there. So so do they expect to slow play him at all, or is it just kind of a let's dive right in with Strasburg, give him a rotation spot right now, and let's just you know see what uh, happens? I'm sorry, one more time. It's hard to hear you. Uh, do they think you know he might be slow played at all, or is it just going to be throw him right back into the fire? Let's, let's see what he, you know, basically let's see what he's got. I think everybody's going to be ready to go come uh, in another two weeks when the season starts. And uh uh, you, you may not see the workload out of a lot of these pitchers early on in terms of your starters, but uh, uh, again, I think everybody's going to be ramp, ramped up pretty good to close to, to to go close to 80 to 90 pitches at least, and throw five to six innings, and and you know let your bullpen handle it from there. But we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, and from everything I'm reading and and at least seeing the reports down there uh, from those who are down there, and there's not too many. Uh, it looks to me as though they're going to be healthy and ready to go. 
So going on to another pitcher in this in this Nationals rotation, obviously Patrick Corbin was really lights out in 2019, went 14 and 7, 325 ERA. He was just pretty much exactly what the Nationals needed. And obviously, you know, it was a very successful year for them. But 2020, he took a step back, you know, he had a 466 ERA. What went wrong for Corbin in 2020, and how can he fix it and get back to 2019 form in 2021? Well, I think everybody kind of took a step back last year. I mean, very, very true. Face it. Uh, I, I, I look at last year almost as if it really didn't happen. 60-game uh, schedule, you know, expanded playoffs, uh, some of the things that teams had to deal with. Uh, you look at some of the teams that went through extended COVID issues for a week, a week and a half, where they couldn't play. You're looking at the Marlins and a, and, and, and a few others uh, who, who had games postponed, and they wound up having to make them up later to get 60 games in. I, I just don't think it was a representative, uh, uh, a representative view of what MLB was all about last year. I mean, the Dodgers won it, and nobody's taking anything away from them about being a real good team. It looks like they're loaded again this year. Uh, but, you know, to me, playing 162, and, you know, you, you are what you are after that. Now, as far as Corbin's concerned, uh, you know, his slider is his out pitch. Everybody knows that. Yep. But it's all about strike one. It's all about getting ahead in the count with him, and that sets up the rest of his pitches. So uh, he's looked he's – looked, uh, you know, pretty good throwing the foot, uh, throwing the throwing the ball in spring training, uh, but the results right now haven't necessarily been there for him the way that he would like them to be. But keep in mind, a lot of spring training is, you know, not so much about the results, but working on what you're supposed to be working on and getting your work in to build that stamina up to be ready to start the season. So, I mean, he's a veteran guy. He helped him win a World Series a couple of years ago, and. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But again, I I expect Patrick Corbin to be, you know, Patrick Corbin that we've known down through the years. Craig, it seems like each of the past, like, three seasons they're about, Trey Turner Ooh, Sorry, has... Kyle, dude, couldn't hear you. What? Sorry, I said it seems like for each of the past three seasons or so, Trey Turner has been a name that people have looked at as somebody who will be a breakout candidate, right? Like a surefire star to be at the major league level. Is this the season that he finally stakes claim to that, or is there still maybe some growing pains? Well, let's hope that this is the season he takes claim to that. And <clears throat> truth be told, last year I thought he had a heck of a season for it being a 60-game season. Uh, you know, he's a catalyst at the top of that lineup, and I'm thinking more that Dave Martinez – would like to see him hit down a little bit further uh, because they're hoping that Victor Robles can take the leadoff spot and and be consistent and be able to get on base. And if you can do that, that will set the table for Turner, for Soto, for uh, Josh Bell and Schwarber. Uh, and, and again, it depends on how Davey wants to handle the top three in that lineup, but Right now, they'd like to have uh, Robles be the leadoff guy. And if that happens, you never know where Turner might hit, whether he hits second or whether they drop him down to third. A lot of people think he can hit third. Uh, but, you know, the whole idea is to surround Soto uh, with with some guys who are, are, are going to be able to get on base, be able to hit, and, and also, you know, draw walks, things of that nature, because, you know, we've seen – Josh Bell has four home runs so far this spring. 
Uh, Schwarber hit one the other day against the Mets. Actually, hit he hit two uh, in back-to-back games. So uh, I, I think what Mike Rizzo did in the offseason is, is go out and, you know, fortify this lineup. Again, it's all about staying healthy. But, yeah, I mean, I don't see Trey Turner dropping off in any way, shape, or form, Kyle. I mean, I think he's he's going to be uh, real good defensively like he usually is, consistent. And, uh, uh, again, I think he's going to provide what that lineup needs. Kind of going off Kyle's question a little bit, you know, another guy who hasn't really been able to establish himself all that much, but he looks like he's locked down the third base job as as of now is Carter Keboom. And Carter right. Keboom was such a big prospect, and everyone was very excited about him, and he just hasn't gotten there in the major leagues. It seems like he's just missing something. You know, when he has been getting hits, he, it's more been singles and not extra base hits, and I know the Nationals would like to see him get, you know, back to what he was in the minors. Is, is he definitely a lock at third base, and what does he need to do to take a step forward? Well, for the time being, I think he's a lock, but how much rope he's going to get is another question. I, You know, right now he's struggling in the spring. He's hitting just 143, and uh, again, they they want him. They've tried to do everything that they can between Mike Rizzo and Dave Martinez to make him confident and tell him, look, this is your position. It's yours to win. Uh, you're going to be the guy over there. Now, that that that's okay for the beginning of the season and maybe even a month, month and a half in. But how much rope do the Nats give him if he's still struggling at the plate and things of that nature? So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, again, I think he's going to get every opportunity to win the job and take it by the horns, but it's up to him really now uh, because we, we, we it's a small sample size at this point. There was a cup of coffee in 19. Uh, there was there was more of a chance last year, but again, I'm looking at a 60 game season, and I'm not taking a whole lot out of that. I, I'd agree with you for sure. But has the Nats front office seemed to sour at all on Kibum, or are they still confident that he can be the player he was when when he was a prospect? Well, that's what the hope is. I mean, you never know until you go out there and do it, right? For and, sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, until you start to prove yourself, and uh, uh, you know, let's face it, I don't think anybody in that organization thinks that. You know, Carter Keboom was going to come in there and be Anthony Rendon. But they wanted to have him be the kind of player that he was in the minor leagues. So now he's, cause he's, got, to, he's got to make it carry over to the major leagues. So, uh, again, a lot of this is on Carter. And, and what happens with that, too, is when you don't have success and you are struggling, it becomes just as much a mental game as it becomes a physical game. So you wonder whether... You know, that's the sad part about us not being able to talk to players. You don't really get a feel for for, for what they're going through and things of that nature. It's it's a different animal not being able to be in a clubhouse and, and be around these guys for the, the amount of time that we get, you know, before a game or after a game. Uh, so, again, who, who knows what Carter's thinking on that. He, you know, he says he's fine. He says he's, you know, healthy. So... Again, it's up to him to take the bull by the horns and win this job and keep it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that the Nats made a, a couple good additions. I, I think I would have liked to see them you know, do a little bit more. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Kyle Schwarber, Brad Hand were some obviously key additions. What do they expect out of Kyle Schwarber? Is he going to get back to that, you know, massive power he had with the Cubs? Or are they looking to be, you know, more of a line drive hitter? What do they expect out of Kyle Schwarber? Well, I think what they expect out of him is to go out there and play an adequate left field. And uh, there are some people that question whether or not he can do that. But, I mean, you know, is he going to be a liability out there? We'll have to wait and see. I can see him as a guy that starts games, hits home runs, strikes out a lot, 
but he can also be a guy that uh, will be, uh, you know, a, he'll be replaced in the outfield late in games for defensive purposes. Andrew Stevenson coming off the bench, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, certainly uh, would be the first guy out there. And uh, another guy to keep an eye on who's having just a, a killer spring training uh, is uh, Yadier Hernandez, uh, who's just sitting the cover off the baseball. We'll have to wait and see whether or not that translates and what his future is with this team going forward in, in terms of making this team. But he's hitting over 426. His on-base percentage and his OPS is off the charts right now uh, in spring training. And the latter part of last year, he came up and hit the ball really well, uh, you know, the, the, the final two and a half, three weeks of the season last year. So uh, do they have something here that they might not have? I mean, he's a vet. Uh, or, or, I mean, he's a guy that's that's up in age, but he's getting a chance now. Uh, I mean, is this something that they just saw a little glimpse of last year, or is this something that can, uh, you know, play its way into something? We'll have to wait and see. But uh, keep that name in mind going forward. Yeah, it seems like Hernandez is kind of battling with Gerardo Parra and a few other guys for that last bench spot. Who is the front runner for that right now? I mean, like you mentioned, Hernandez is tearing the cover off the ball, but it seems like Parra has the experience and you know it can get the you know the fans' approval a little bit more than anyone else would. So, who is the the top spot for for that uh, utility spot? Well, you got to remember, uh, you know, what, what the other thing that makes Hernandez tough to make this team is the fact that, uh, you know. Can they afford to carry five outfielders without right. one of those guys being kind of a utility guy that can play all all around the field? Uh, because Stevenson, uh, you know, they like what he brings, especially as a pinch hitter. Uh, but they love his defense. They love his speed. And, uh, you know, the other part of that for him is he's out of minor league options. So they have to figure out how they're going to configure that outfield uh, outfield. Uh, in terms of who comes off the bench. But, uh, uh, again, it's going to boil down to what the needs are early in the season. And like I said, after two or three weeks into the season, a lot of that can change. Craig, last time we talked, I asked you about who the the top prospect that would be coming up for the Nationals and making a debut and making an impact would be this year. And you mentioned Tim Kate as a guy who could definitely be you know, impactful for them. Is that still the case? Do you think Tim Kate is going to have an impact for the Nationals in 2021? I'm sorry, what, what name did you mention? Tim Kate. Uh, it's possible. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the two guys that we've seen in spring training – are are the two young pitchers that they have, uh, and a couple, uh, both of them actually got sent down the other day. But uh, I mean that was expected, uh, and I'm not so sure uh, that they don't have what they're looking for uh, on this roster right now. It's just a matter of getting down to the final cuts, uh, you know. So uh, again, how it shakes down, we'll all have to wait and see. What what aggravates me about it is the fact that we're not down there. We're 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 not getting a chance to see them, uh, all of the prospects for that matter. So, it's 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 hard to say right now. All right, Craig, it's kind of a wrap up for you. Before we let you go, um, what is your overall expectation for this team? Is this a team that's now going to be back in the playoffs? What would be like your official expectation for the twenty twenty one Nationals? My official expectation is if everybody stays healthy, this team should win. 90 games and contend for the National League's Eastern Division title are certainly a wild card spot. Uh, everything being in a perfect world, if the pitching is healthy and 
the starting rotation does what it's supposed to do. Uh, you know, we'll wait and see. I mean, are they going to be able offensively to to put more runs up than they did last year? I mean, that was a struggle at times. I mean, the the numbers don't lie from the standpoint of whether or not there's uh, you know how many games you win or lose depending on whether you score three runs or more uh, in a game. So that to me is the biggest thing. You know, can they can they get the offensive output that they need like they did in 2019? If they don't, they're going to struggle a little bit more because. You know, the the Braves are the team to, to, to beat in that division, even for the success that the Nats had a couple of years ago, uh, because of, uh, you know, winning the, winning the division three years in a row. That's the team that they've got to beat, but the Phillies are better. Uh, the Mets think they're better. And uh, keep in mind, the Marlins made the, put the postseason last year. So, I mean, I think top to bottom, everybody – this is this is very reminiscent to me of what the American League East used to be like a few years back. And I think the National League East right now is the best division in baseball. All right, Craig, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate you coming on, talking about the Nats. I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. All right, man. All right, that was Craig Heiss from 106.7 The Fan talking about the Washington Nationals. Every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and – Kyle, uh, the, the Batarounds own, I guess now, Kyle Ottenheimer, mm-hmm. bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with the new Ravens offensive lineman, Kevin Zeitler, Ravens fullback Patrick Ricard, legendary former coaches Gary Williams and Jim Calhoun, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. We're here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. We will get a break, and then we'll talk Orioles banter when we come back. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Glory Days Grill's St. Patrick's menu is now available, and it's their most popular seasonal menu all year. New items include smoky thigh wings and bangers and mash. Favorites include corned beef and cabbage, shepherd's pie, and the Glory Days Reuben and the Rachel. Enter to win a brewery tour of the Guinness Open Gate Brewery outside of Baltimore. Details available at any Glory Days Grill. And enter online at glorydaysgrill.com slash brewery tour. The St. Patrick's menu is available for the whole month of March. Come in for great food, beer, and basketball. Download their app or order online at glorydaysgrill.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank 
Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Lynn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Lynn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Welcome back to the Bat Around here on this Saturday morning in Baltimore. We have a lot to talk about for our Orioles banter segment. We were supposed to have Paul Valley on, but unfortunately he cannot make it because his plane was delayed to Sarasota. Uh, Kyle's got a live read for us yep. real quick. Here. Today's show is brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Call C3 American Exteriors to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. That's Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3 America. That's C, the number three in America.com for a free analysis. Yeah, as I mentioned, Paul Valley was supposed to, to come on and talk to us and, and it really explain to us what he's doing in Sarasota. He will be going to a few Orioles spring training games and, you know, I guess give us a little bit of a look at uh, some of the Oriole prospects, some of the Orioles starters as well. Um, news this week for the Orioles, you know, we talked about Franco, but there was considerable uh, important news. Obviously, John Means announced as the opening day starter now, something that I, I think every Orioles fan could have expected. Um, Brandon Hyde made it a whole thing. He he. You know, said, "Oh, we're going to do it on Friday. We're going to push it back, and and I'm going to announce it." But I think everyone knew who it was going to be. You know, maybe, you know, Kramer or some other guy could have gotten a look, but it was always going to be John Means. There's nobody else who even remotely deserves right. consideration. To be fair, as long as Means is right. healthy, right? Like if Means were for some reason well, nursing what, an injury or coming back from trying to, which is what happened it. last year, right? right. So and, and Means had the Means had the sore arm, the dead arm last year. He wasn't able to to go, and and Tommy Malone went instead, and the Orioles lost something like thirteen to one. Um, so it'll be, it'll be nice to see John Means starting. Um, Kyle, we haven't talked a lot with you about what you expect from John Means. I expect a pretty solid bounce back season. He wasn't great in 2020, but he at the end of the year he really started to ramp up uh, his production. What do you expect out of John Means, and, and are you happy to see him be named opening day starter? It was a curious season for him last year. Yeah. Um, obviously, the production and the results was not what he would have wanted, but there were peripheral numbers that suggested he had made strides and improvement as far as velocity was concerned concerned and his stuff still looked good right 95 out of very the left, good yeah. left hand is normally a good recipe um it was maybe i think positive that he was overthrowing at the start of the year a little yeah. bit right that he was maybe trying to throw a little too hard as a result you know losing a little bit of his command 
end when he maybe eased up a little bit toward the end of the year you started to see some performances that were more reminiscent of the 2019 version of John Means that came on the scene so strong right I'd like to think right obviously optimism being a good thing and something we want to have I would like to think that the 2019 version of John Means in the first half is the real John Means and he can be a sub 375 ERA pitcher who can strike out you know 160 batters a year, right? Like, that would be probably the best-case scenario for John Means. I would be surprised if he's ever in the Cy Young conversation. Right, right. But I would be, you know, happily surprised. One-time All-Star, though, so sure, like surprisingly. I, there's no doubt he's the best they've got right now yeah. in their rotation. Um, you want to see more from Kramer. You want to see more from Aiken. You have hopes for guys like Zimmerman and the other the Baumans of the sorts, right? Yep. But – as of now, they they're gonna need him to throw two hundred innings, right? Like, know, maybe not two hundred because of the nature of this one one seventy, maybe whatever the tops, new standard is. Yeah. However many you expect to get out of one of your starting pitchers, this this is this is the guy the Orioles should be able to count on for that number. Yeah, this week he spun four innings, allowing only one earned run on two hits. That's a pretty solid outing. I don't know if he would have gone five. The game wasn't on TV, so we couldn't really see what his stuff looked like, how he was you know faring as far as uh, stamina goes, but. Pretty solid outing, and he's been okay during spring. He's been he's been pretty solid. He he didn't have a lot of strikeouts in his first couple outings, but it seems like he's ramping that up a little bit. And you don't know whether he's, for instance, emphasizing his breaking ball. Right, uh, yeah. His, his, his changeup, we know his changeup's good, right? For sure, and, and the breaking ball is a great point because – John Means really never had one in 2019. He was mainly, he had a breaking ball, but he didn't use it. He was mainly fastball changeup, back and forth. That was probably 80% of his repertoire. And now he's trying to work in the slider, trying to work in the curveball. And that's something he's, he did pretty effectively. They look solid. The pitches have nice shape. They, they had nice break. And if he can get those two pitches down, he will be fine this year. I, I think just fastball Do location. Do we know if he's still throwing both? It, 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 from what I've seen in the one game on TV, it looked like he was throwing both, yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of times with pitchers, some coaches will try and just say, hey, stick to one. You're going to kind of get them too mixed up. If you're throwing both, you have neither a little bit. But that's not to say some pitchers, you know, can't, right? Yeah, I mean, so. if he can control them and if he can get guys sure. out, then I'm, I'm not opposed to it. It's a good change of pace pitch, especially the slider, since he rarely throws that one. He's, well, he's You'd hope they can, they can be get-me-over pitches at this exactly, point. Exactly, yeah. But, Ideally, you'd like them to have a little bit more swing and miss potential at their best, right? If, if he has one of them that shows the ability to maybe develop into an above-average pitch, I'd rather them hone in on that one, probably. So what's like a successful season for John Means? What do you see as a, you know, he's obviously the quote-unquote ace of the rotation right now, but he's not an MLB ace. He's not your Garrett Cole, not your Clayton mm-hmm. Kershaw of the world. But what's a successful year from John Means for you? I would say if he ends the season sub Honestly, if he ends the season sub-4 ERA with a sub-1.2 whip, I would say that's a successful season. I'm with you. I think that would be, especially in Camden Yards, especially in the AL East, it's going to be always tougher. So, you know, and, and that's, honestly, any any Orioles pitcher at those numbers, I'm pleased with. You know, I, I don't need you to go out there and win 19 games because, obviously, that's not possible for the Orioles right now and John Means. Um, so... I agree with you. Under under four and under one point two whip is is a solid day and a solid outing for John Means. Um, if he can you know put up those numbers uh, every five days, that would be awesome. Um, now another guy that is kind of important for the Orioles. We talked about him before, but Felix Hernandez, and he's a guy that you look at why would the Orioles sign him if they weren't going to put him on this team now he's facing this injury and it just seems like things are going a little bit awry for him he hasn't pitched amazing he's pitched okay he's he's been I I would call solid so far in, in spring training and this injury sets him back a little bit but 
if he were to pitch at you know at Camden Yards, basically in a full 162 game season, if he's not injured, um, and if they do deem him ready for opening day, what do you expect from Felix Hernandez? Is he going to be serviceable? Is he going to be you know back to 2019 Felix, where he lost around 16 games? I would probably imagine he's a high four ERA type pitcher and a guy who gives up a lot of home runs. But if you are looking for somebody to get you innings, could be that kind of guy, right? Like, I don't think Felix Hernandez has quality starting pitching left in him. Right? I, like, I agree with you, yeah. I don't see him coming in and putting together a Jamie Moyer type, like savvy, this guy's only throwing 84, but by God, right? Look at him getting through six innings nightly and finding a way, right? Like, I'd be happily surprised. I'd like to be Agreed. wrong. yeah. I would like to see Felix Hernandez come in and be able to pitch backwards and just make the fastball something that it's not because we know it's not going to blow anybody away. Essentially, you have to locate excellently if you want to be – a quality major league pitcher at 86 miles an hour, and you have to have good breaking stuff, which he does. His changeup, sure. his changeup is still what it was when he was with Seattle in the in the early 2010s, and he was you know but winning Cy Youngs. Your he was dominant. Is as good as your fastball, right? Like you're not, very true. So yeah. you know you're not. I best case scenario, Felix Hernandez comes in, is able to get the Orioles a hundred innings, and his real value is the intangible of what his experience being around young pitchers can be. Right, like it's an elusive, illustrious sort of concept that is probably never really proven. But right. you hope that what he's learned throughout his career, he might be able to teach a thing or two to young pitchers like Means, Aiken, Kramer, etc., to further their development. I would like to think he's capable of that, but that's certainly not his job. Right, his job is to go out there and try and pitch his best and keep his job. So we'll see. I'm not exactly holding out expectations that Felix Hernandez is a fixture on this Orioles team this year. Um, It's a neat little thing that he's there and fun to see a guy who's once so great, but it also is a reminder of just how far he's fallen to an extent when you see him in this context. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of the same story with with Felix Hernandez as it is with Matt Harvey and Wade LeBlanc as well. You a know, different for Felix was Felix is a Hall of Famer. He right? like, he is close to a Hall of Famer. He's sport, going yeah. to be a Hall of Famer. I'm almost positive. But Matt Ma- Harvey, his highs was I think he was a Cy Young candidate. I'm not sure 13, if he won it, yeah. but he was up there for sure. He he was absolutely dominant. He was you know so impactful for the Mets in the playoffs over those few years and. You know, he he just has completely fallen off a cliff. It's not like Felix, where the the you know basically his downside of it, right, yeah, his downside of his career was gradual, sure. and it kind of it kind of came to a, a point in eighteen, then nineteen. I meant to say before in eighteen, he did lose fourteen games. Nineteen only lost not, uh, eight games. Uh, didn't pitch in twenty, but the it was more of a gradual decline for Felix than there was for Matt Harvey. He just couldn't find it, and the Mets ended up releasing him. Um, you know, so Matt Harvey is a guy that I don't have a lot of confidence in at all. Um, you know, the, the fifth starter spot is still open, so maybe Matt Harvey finds a way there. Wade LeBlanc, we saw as Orioles fans what he can do last year. He's a simply control pitcher. He's a finesse lefty that I don't think has a lot left in the tank either. Um, so how would you compare those guys, and what would you what would you want to see out of both of them as opposed to a guy like Bruce Zimmerman, who also has the option to be that you know that fifth starter? I mean, look, part of me is approaching the 2021 Orioles season with a mindset of why not throw Matt Harvey out there and see what happens. Like, what's you never the downside know. of having him be the fifth starter just to see if he can be anything? That being said, like, I'm not naive. 
generally speaking, if a pitcher has been completely ineffective for five or six consecutive seasons, you know, thinking you're going to be the one to go and turn it around is oftentimes, you know, a lofty thought. You're not yeah. often going to be able to just fix something. The weird part is it doesn't appear to be broken the same way as Felix Hernandez, right? It's not like Matt Harvey's out here throwing 87 and just completely, like, not looking at all like what we remember. At his best, I think he was upper 90s and had some pretty solid off-speed pitches to pair with it. He's clearly not who he was with the Mets. Why he's so bad compared to what he was then is curious to me. Yeah, It's something that I don't understand. It's something that I could understand the Orioles being interested in trying to at least figure out whether it's a done deal that he's never going to be it again. You know, it's, it's also not something I would, I would say for their sake they should be relying on him for anything. The, the biggest problem I look at with, with Matt Harvey specifically is that he's a guy who every team who's taken him has said, okay, we're going to fix him. We're going to turn him back into you know 2013, the Dark Knight, Matt Harvey version, and, and that just hasn't happened. He hasn't been even close. He was okay with the Reds. He, he pitched. He had his moments. Uh, he, he was serviceable at, a, at times. He was still the fours um, ERA, right? Like he, right. It, so, it, was, it was spot starts where he looked passable. And right. Maybe that's the bar for the Orioles this year, frankly. Passable, right? like, passable would, be, would be better than a lot of the other options, I guess, yeah. But I still probably line up with, and I feel this way about their positions, maybe. It's tough. It's tough to say with the service time type of thing. Like, is it worth just saying, Michael Bauman, you're probably too good for double-A or triple-A. It's probably your major league ready. But are we going to start your clock just to figure out whether you're a major league pitcher like what if you are a major league pitcher now we've started your clock and you're two or three years removed from arbitration when we're probably two or three years removed from being anywhere near where we want to be right so it's a little bit of a double-edged sword but i i would in an instant in a heartbeat i would have bruce zimmerman in a rotation spot over Matt Harvey or Felix Hernandez yeah bruce zimmerman so far on the spring nine innings pitched one hit zero earned runs I mean, that's as about as good as you can get. And obviously, all three of those relief appearances, he came in and worked three innings in all of them. Uh, but that's incredibly impressive. And it's a guy, Bruce Zimmerman, well, Zimmerman was what I would call okay for the Orioles in 2020. He came up, made a little bit of a, of a debut, and he, he made a one start, which didn't go so well. But some of his bullpen appearances were fine. I think it's time to say... Let's give Bruce Zimmerman a shot. Let's see what he's got. Um, and and at, at the worst, you send him back down and you, you say, okay, here's Matt Harvey's shot. You know, so you, you could try any of these things. I think Bruce Zimmerman's your best bet for that number five starter as of now. I honestly think he might be the number four, Frank. He could be the number four, especially if Felix is not healthy and he's not ready to start the season, which looks in doubt right now. So, um, And then that opens up another spot for Matt Harvey, which, again, we just talked about. So, And I think that there's, there's a good... A lot of in, of guys in the Orioles system that are triple A type pitchers. Lowther, Baum, and you just mentioned them. Yep. Wells, who are yep. talented arms, but lack overpowering stuff, and are guys that organizations likely would overlook and not give the chance to really stake claim to a starting rotation spot because of their lack of velocity. Now. You'd like to think that with what we've seen in Houston with pitchers finding upticks in velocity and making their stuff better, that like the Orioles' developmental system is going to be able to fulfill their potential and find a couple extra ticks on the radar gun and all of that. But even if they aren't, 
the Orioles are primed to be able to sort of figure out whether any of these guys are going to be able to swim. Yeah, I think that's kind of what 2021 is going to be about a little bit because they haven't turned the switch. They haven't decided we're going to try to maximize wins right now. So I think, like you said, trying to figure out what some of these guys have, maybe find lightning in a bottle if you can. That's kind of what the Orioles will try to do. Um, now, talking about some of the other uh, battles that are going on on the roster, obviously it looks like Pat Vileka is kind of penciled into that utility spot, um, and he was paid arbitration. So that one would think Mike Elias kind of has that plan for him. But Ramon Urias has played okay. He's played pretty solidly, especially hitting the ball. He, he's hit the ball well. Um, his defense hasn't been great in spring training, but he looks like a guy who could be valuable at least for the Orioles, maybe serviceable at shortstop, third base, second. Um, so where does that battle stand for you right now? Which guy are you a fan of? Who would you like to see being in that super utility spot? This is where I will admit ignorance. Like, I have not, in the macro picture of the Baltimore Orioles, 2021 being, you know, a process to try to learn and try to grow and develop. There's, there's, I can't imagine a single scenario where the utility infielder for the 2021 Orioles factors into the bigger picture, right? Like, that's just me being pragmatic about it. That said, who I would prefer is a guy with a better glove. I would rather it be a defensive right. guy that they're able to plug in on the field, not be a liability, feel confident that he's going to handle his position well and give these young pitchers at least somebody they know will do their job. Which I think would be Richie Martin overall. I think that's your best glove at all three positions. I mean, Pat Vileka, he, he came up as a shortstop through the minors, but he's not a great shortstop by any means. Richie Martin is more of a natural shortstop than Pat Vileka is. None of so. these guys are going to be real bats. None of these right. guys are going to be hitting so well that they're going to be like, well, next year, entering 2022, we got to pencil him into the starting second baseman job. For sure. For so sure. Find value or at least be able to give a little bit of insurance and security to the people on the mound and, and, and let them know that even though you might not have, you know, Galvis in that day, you're not having that much of a drop-off in the actual ability to field the position. Yeah, you mentioned the young pitchers, and I think it's extremely important that they have good defense behind them. That's obviously, I think, an Orioles um, you know, priority right now because they, they want to make sure these guys are able to succeed. They don't want you know, a guy out there booting the ball every, you know, every five plays. But well, For what? Right? Like, what, are you, right. what would you be getting from a guy to justify that at that position? And unfortunately, Michael Franco is not the best defender. Obviously, Trey Mancini has had his issues at first. You look across I think the roster. Pretty good at. I, he, he's I, I'm okay. Com I'm comfortable with Mancini at first. Right? I, I'm like, a little worried. I gotta say, I, he I, played a really strong first base throughout his entire minor league career, and that was all he played at that point. And since then, he's played outfield and he handled that better than people expected. He, he definitely right? like, did, and I think it's gonna be probably a learning process for him. He'll still, you know, he's been playing it his whole life. First but base he, is the is where you feel comfortable putting a guy who can't field, right? Like that's, Mancini that's very true. has already proven he can field more difficult positions. I think that once the rust shakes off, I'm more than confident that Trey Mancini's fielding the first base position well. Yeah, fair enough. But I think there are two guys that stand out to me where the defense has really been lacking, and we kind of knew with one of them, but that's Cisco and Severino. And Cisco and Severino have been very atrocious on defense. You know, Cisco. He was always known as a hitting prospect when he was coming up through the minors. He hit everywhere he went, and he came up, and everyone expected him to be an impact hitter. He never was, and that, that's been the problem so flashes. far. He's, he's had flashes. got a good on-base skill still right. and occasionally shows some pop, but no, I mean, he's not been the 
300 bat that we probably right. were hoping he would be throughout the course of his minor league career. And, and then if you combine that with the defense, it's been overall just kind of a train wreck for Francisco in his first couple of years in the majors. And there's nothing to say he can't turn it around, but I, I wouldn't uh, say I would expect that at this point. I think it's to the point now where with Cisco, if he's going to find value, it's probably not going to be a catcher. He's proven, right. I think, that he's not the assertive, behind-the-plate captain that you want your catcher to be. And while you would argue maybe there's value to just putting him behind the plate this year and letting him go through growing pains, and I would ultimately fall on the side of I think that whatever harm you could inflict upon your pitchers as a result is probably not worth it, right? Like, it's tough because Cisco, if he's not going to catch, like, where is he going to get his at-bats? Right, exactly. I mean, he, he's not going to fit in at first base, especially when you just signed Franco. He's not going to play there. Cisco's a guy that just doesn't really fit into the Orioles' plans with me. And then Severino as well, he's hit okay. The first half of last season, he would have been the starting catcher for the American League All-Star game. And, and obviously there wasn't an All-Star game. But he really fell off in August and September. He was horrendous with the bat. And obviously his defense has left a lot to be desired too. It, it hasn't been top-notch defense. Obviously, Adley Rutschman's knocking on the door. We, we know that. He's maybe a, a year off at most. He's going to probably be the starting catcher on opening day 2022. But until then, I, I think... I bet the, you it would be late May. It, it could be late May, yeah. Um, but until then, the Orioles really, I think, need an upgrade. I think they, they need to make an upgrade at catcher where someone can help out these young pitchers because they are so... Right now, Cisco and Severino are taking a lot away from, I, I think, these young pitchers and the experience that they have. It's just not there for me you know we're going to see a lot of pass balls we're going to see maybe not the best pitches called in the best situations I think I would like to see the Orioles maybe make a, a, a small trade maybe pick up a guy off waivers someone to replace either Cisco or Severino get a glove first catcher back there that, that can help these young pitchers improve because what I've seen from Cisco and Severino over the past few years doesn't give me a ton of confidence and, and spring training hasn't really made that any better for me they, they've been bad very bad for both of them I think it's valid I would say that that would be a reasonable desire and one that I think would probably be well served for the Orioles to look into now you have to be realistic about what's out there um catcher being the position that it is scarcity in general being what it is at the position it's hard to think that there's just going to be a you know take control you know, he's going to run things and you're going to be comfortable in that sitting, waiting For to sure. be plucked up, right? Like now when cuts happen closer to the opening day, who knows what becomes available. That um, would be that would be my target, right. And so in theory, it, it, it's you're always able, if you want to add something, to find a player at that position, right? Michael Eisen company have extensive notes and scouts and depth there and information on all of these major league and minor league players so they could do something if they felt inclined to. I just, I, I almost don't think they will. I don't think they will because it seems like, despite his deficiencies, they seem to like Pedro Severino, right? Like, Brandon Hyde seems to like Pedro Severino, and he does have moments with his bat where you're like, well, Mouse, he's really on fire right now. Right, right. That I would probably think they'll be content to just meander through the season with the combination of Severino and Cisco, And, you know, they have... Other guys, they drafted loads of catchers in the year they got Cisco. So there's wins, I believe we mentioned earlier yep. in the show. And Maverick Hanley still, you know, in in the low minors, but he right. might be a solid prospect at some I point. Think his defense probably isn't necessarily what drives him, though. If I'm not, if I remember correctly, he, I, he's I, more he's more of a balanced player for sure. Right. So it's not ideal. It's not ideal. There's no doubt about it. But because of what you know, you have in Rutschman, 
because of where you know you are as an organization, the only thing I would say is notwithstanding in that discussion is if you feel you are going to infringe on the development of pitchers by having guys behind the plate who aren't what you're looking for in that regard, then I could see looking into doing something. But I'll, I'll leave that assessment up to the front office to determine whether or not they feel this is going to be a liability to that. So. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that there is a low possibility they would move on from either Severin or Cisco at this point. But I, I, that's not to say I would not like to see it happen because I will. Um, you know, I, I think if they do make a move, maybe a guy like just who's glove focused, who has a you know a decent bat where you're not gonna he's not gonna be an instant out when he comes to the plate. Not like an Andrew Velasquez or something that that we saw in the past couple of years. Even an Austin wins is a guy that has a good glove but not really going to hit much at all um that's kind of what's out there though at catcher, that's right? probably like, what will be out there right so you're going to be compromising like, at best severino's hitting 250 at best right like probably about that that and would be that would be fine i think Cisco, that would be you'd be like oh maybe he could have on base percentage around 330 and maybe hit an average of 270 right with 15 home runs in a season right that would be what you'd probably hope from him but Probably not going to happen for for Chad well, Cisco at least. Get the bats probably to to, right. to do it. I don't know. It's it's a tricky situation, but they are just you know incubating the nest until Rutschman gets up there. It's not like we're expecting this to be a solution long term. It's just a matter of biding the time until the main attraction arrives. Now, Kyle, you are very focused on the Orioles' farm system outside of this Major League roster. I, you obviously care about the Major League roster, but you're, you, like most Orioles fans, are, are kind of looking towards the future and, and what the Orioles can have in the next few years instead of what they have right now, and that's understandable, of course. Um, the Orioles' farm system is ranked number five by MLB Pipeline this week. That is their first time in the top five. Mm-hmm. That is the highest they've been ranked anywhere. That is you know, an incredible ranking that Michael Elias has taken them from 27 just a few years ago when he came in to number five now. And again, like there are other like that we should we should mention that that's one outlet MLB Pipeline has them at fifth, and there are others. Right. ESPN Keith Law have them as low as eighteen right, right. now. Ke- still, Ke- so there's variance, but the majority of rankings have the Orioles in the top twelve farm systems in baseball, which I which I think is entirely accurate. I I don't think it's fair to say they're at number eighteen, but we've talked about that before sure. on this show. Um, but number five is is certainly. A compliment to the to That's, what Michael that Elias is, has done. Is the highest they have been in well, since I've. I don't think been there's ever been a a time where they've been as high as this. I, I think this is the highest they've ever been. They they've ranked around seven or eight from OB Pipeline the last few years, but right now it's looking like they have something that they're building on. We, we've talked about it a lot on the show. There's there's guys and and of course, especially when you have a guy like Adley Rutschman on your team, you're always going to be ranked very highly because of who Adley Rutschman sure. is and what he projects to be. Um, but now you added a guy like Heston Kerstad, you've added Grayson Rodriguez, Deal Hall in, in the past few years, and it's looking like a very very good organizational system. I'm going to kind of run through uh, some of this top thirty a little bit with you, and, and tell me if you agree with with some of these rankings. So. Heston Kerstad got ranked over D.L. Hall. They're actually back-to-back on the top 100. 69 and 70 sure. is where they rank. Do you think that's fair? Are you more of a D.L. Hall guy over, over Heston Kerstad, or, or where, where do you fall with that? I think, well, you're splitting hairs when it's that close, right? Like, these guys, they could flip a coin and say, no, never mind, we're going to put Kerstad ahead of Hall. We're sure. going to put Hall ahead yeah. of Kerstad, right? Um, Kerstad is a more predictable commodity. Kerstad was top power bat from the right side, or the left side, excuse me, in college last year. And people are pretty comfortable projecting that power. 
people are pretty comfortable saying Heston Kerstad's going to be an average to slightly above average defensive right fielder who can get you 30-plus home runs with a bat that who knows what it could be as far as average is concerned, right? Like, who knows? You might just have a J.D. Martinez type of bat in Heston Kerstad. That's, I think, a little easier to feel comfortable projecting than a high school lefty who hasn't pitched in a year plus. I think that's fair. I The problem I have with Heston Kerstad, I think being ranked where he is, is that he hasn't had a single minor league at bat yet. And that's one of the things that they obviously take into consideration when they make these rankings. But he's a guy who, you know, it, it projects to be a great player at some point in his career. But right now, we, we just don't really know. And he's had the myocarditis. and He's, he's, had, he's had significantly more of a sample size against tough competition yeah. at, in the SEC than D.L. Hall has sure. after high school, right? Like, yep, absolutely. They're going to be more comfortable saying, we saw him be one of the best hitters among the best of the college talent group long enough to say that we're, we're comfortable saying what type of player he is. Hall's development, Hall's ceiling as a prospect is higher than the Kerstads. I would agree with that, too. If yep. Hall comes out this year is locating his fastball, has taken strides with his off-speed pitches, has developed a changeup to work off of that fastball, then Hall's ceiling is that of a top-ten prospect, right? A lefty with that live of an arm is something that doesn't come around every day. That said, the volatility for Hall, like what he could become, is significantly different than the volatility for Kerstad, what we think. I mean, Kerstad was not projected to be the second overall pick, but you have to think part of what made the Orioles comfortable selecting him at number two is their confidence in his becoming the player they think he is. Exactly. I think that's what you have to look at. I mean, he hasn't obviously played yet, but there's a, a good chance that he could become, you know, one of the better left-handed power hitters in the league, and that's what they took him for. You know, we, we can talk about the draft all day and if the Orioles reach there, but it's nice to see Heston Kerstad, I guess, get a little bit of recognition, being, at, you know, all the way up at number 69 in the top 100 when he hasn't had a single at-bat yet. Now You hope, and it's scary, by the way, the myocarditis stuff. You it it is, for sure. able it, to make a full recovery from that, and there's no lingering effects, but that's certainly something that I think has been under-discussed because we don't really know much. You can't know much. Right, and it, I, I believe we'll have a, a Heston Kerstad press conference coming up when he does report to the Bowie camp anytime. Um, it should be soon. It should be early April that Heston Kerstad will arrive there, and I guess we'll get to find out a little more about what happened with him, yeah. but it sounds like he's ready to go. I, I think, you know, it's another spectacle for the Orioles this year is, is seeing what Heston Kerstad does, obviously alongside Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, and all of the guys really Henderson's in here. Henderson's the one I'm probably most, ex of the position right. players, most excited to see. And that's, I'm excited to see guys like Luis Ortiz, you know, like the international sure. signings yep. start to try and make some inroads. And like, I'm nerdy in that way. Like, I think what's best about the Orioles farm system now compared to when I was younger was it used to be that there were six prospects you could reasonably say you had hopes of being major leaguers and the rest were all just random filler and lottery tickets. And like the number 10 prospect was always that one guy that was like, who knows, maybe he right, could develop exactly. into a real player. There are now guys in the Orioles system ranked like 20th, like Carter Baumler, who in years past would have been the number 10 prospect because the ceiling is such where they could turn into a real player. But there's a lot of guys now in the Orioles system who have that type of ceiling. So 
that's where you can see the strides made. Um, I don't think it's enough to, if Adley Rutschman were out of the picture, to say that this is still a top 10 system. But as you stack international classes, as you continue to get Elias's guys in there, this is something that is a gradual process that should, hopefully, by the time the Orioles are ready to compete at the major league level, you've got a system flooded with prospects right. who they can either use to bolster that team or add talent via trade. I think the Orioles, one thing that's really improved is just depth. And like you said, they had a bunch of guys who were more so fillers, and that's just not at all you know, the goal anymore. Now they want to get – you look at a guy like Jemai Jones, ranked number seven in the Angels system. He comes over to Baltimore and ranks number 20, mm -hmm. which is – it just kind of tells you how good the Orioles system is. And, and granted, if Jemai Jones had gone out last year for the Angels and played well enough to be bumped up to number five in their system, chances are it wouldn't have been as easy to get them for the Orioles. Sure, right? so absolutely. Like, factors in to it but there's no doubt right their depth is it's getting better they're building it out and they're, they're filling it in for sure um now you mentioned international guys and and the orioles have signed two international guys michael hernandez and samuel wasayo um you mentioned luis ortiz he actually dropped off the top 30 in the latest edition but he's probably right on the cusp 31 32 and a lot of that is just because nobody's seen him pitching so exactly. long and it's an unknown as to what he looks like so michael hernandez and samuel wasayo we did talk about them a little bit on the show but those are two guys that ranked inside the top 30 of many publications for the international prospects, the Orioles have made strides in getting better in the international market. Uh, Michael Hernandez comes in at number 22 from MLB Pipeline and number 28 for Samuel Basayo. Uh, where do you, what do you think about those guys and, and slotting in at number 22 and 28? Does that seem fair to you, or would you like to see them a little higher? I won't pretend to know the guys ranked ahead of them, right? Like, when it comes to international free agency, it used to be something I would ignore altogether, look at with a sort of side the eye. The Orioles like, never did I it anyway. Would have right. been nice, right? Like, must be nice to be right. signing these guys kind of thing. Now I'm, I'm very happy to be involved, right? Like, the baseline is I'm happy to be involved. I'm happy the Orioles yep. are getting guys on the list. So that, you can say, is the foundation here, and I'm very pleased to see the progression in that regard. Now, the next step and the question still for me is where – where does the effort ultimately stop? What market do the Orioles end in as far as what they're participating in? Are they going to ever be involved in the $5 million international free agent, or are they going to be taking the route that they used last year where they're saying we are going to scout and pick the guys in the second or third tier that we think have that ability? And that's there's no one right way to do it. That's not to say that they'd be wrong to take that strategy. It's just more so for my understanding of how they're approaching the market. It would be curi I'm curious to see how that continues to progress. Um, I, I would agree with you for sure, yeah. But I like the – there's no reason not to like it, right? Like the Orioles are spending significant money on prospects in the international market. And Great to see 16, it. Yeah. 17-year-old kids who are nothing but upside. And it now falls into the hands of the developmental group. So, you know, they got to work in, in lockstep, and, and, and you would think they are – well aware of the type of players that they've gotten and the type of players they think they can become. Right. So so being number five right now, that's where the Orioles sit. They sit behind a few teams that are obviously, and they haven't been revealed yet because MLB Pipeline has not put out their entire rankings yet. But, um, you know, we're looking at a team that can probably improve throughout the next few drafts because they do still have high picks. They'll have uh, the fifth pick in this upcoming draft, and there are a lot of good prospects there. 
How realistically high do you think the Orioles could be by the year end? Are they going to be a number three ranked farm system? Are they going to be a number one ranked farm system? Might be kind of tough to get up there, but how high do you think they can go? Um, you know, a lot of that depends on both Adley Rutschman and then also the guys like Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, Gunnar Henderson, Yusniel Diaz, guys who either have the ability to take major steps forward if they prove they've either grown or added to their game or guys who had sort of lost a bit of their shine, right? Like Adley will still be in the minors at the end of this year. I don't Correct. foresee I, that, him. That's probably the expectation. So right. there's no reason to think he will not be the number one prospect on the Orioles prospect rankings next year. That, that's what you would that's what anyone would really the think the world would point. be ending if Adley Rutschman <laughs> has a terrible 2021 and has somehow dropped out of the top spot so that would be you know unforeseen now from there it's it's so unknown there's no way to know after not having any year last year after not being able to see what happened at the instructional camps and really see the games and strides taken but hopefully Hopefully this was not at all wasted time for any Orioles prospects. And they are going to show up in 2021 like completely different than they looked at the end of 2019. That's that's the goal for sure. And you, and, and you talked about Gunnar Henderson before, how excited you are with him. And I think that's a guy you look at immediately who could bring this organization up. And, and even if Adley Rutschman, you know, uh, graduates from that list decently soon, which is possible, um, you know, mid obviously mid-2022, Gunnar Henderson could be that number one guy. Heston Kerstad will still be there. Grayson Rodriguez, Deal Hall. Everyone we talk to, like the, the Jim Callises, the Jonathan yep. Mayos of the world, they're always saying that Henderson's the one that they say they're most excited to see. The highest they ceiling outside of Rutschman. The biggest ascent in their rankings this upcoming year. Some said he was just on the outside of the top 100 already. That, that sounds you know excellent to me, and I think we'll be getting there soon. We're going to catch our next break, but before that, the latest edition of PressBox is available now on the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college across feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players in all of the area's schools. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farms stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBox online.com and make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available on hybrid or gas only models a RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today we're going to get a break and we'll be back to finish up the show Glory Days Grill's St. Patrick's menu is now available, and it's their most popular seasonal menu all year. New items include smoky thigh wings and bangers and mash. Favorites include corned beef and cabbage, shepherd's pie, and the Glory Days Reuben and the Rachel. Enter to win a brewery tour of the Guinness Open Gate Brewery outside of Baltimore. Details available at any Glory Days Grill. And enter online at glorydaysgrill.com slash brewery tour. The St. Patrick's menu is available for the whole month of March. Come in for great food, beer, and basketball. Download their app or order online at glorydaysgrill.com. 
For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit ceiwc.com. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brent the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm Freaking miserable. Go. Le champion. Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. As Paul Valley always says for every show, he loves the Glenn Clark Radio music when we come back. So I gotta, I gotta keep the tradition alive and say it on every show. Um, Kyle, thanks for coming in today. Great Definitely. show. I think it was, uh, you know, very informative. We got a lot in about the Nats, which we we don't always get to cover. So yeah. that was good. Um, you know, lots of lots of O's news out this week, and only one more show before uh, opening day. So I'm always looking forward a good to thing, it. Right? Uh, today's show is also brought to you by the Pressbox masks. And while the vaccine is here, there's reason to be encouraged. COVID is still a very real threat. Masks won't be going away anytime soon, unfortunately. So let's wear the masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag patterned 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter, honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-year two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks, not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Also very important. Get your masks right now at pressboxonline.com slash masks. That's pressboxonline.com slash masks to get yours now. 
Yeah, so overall, overall, Paul Valley will be back next week, but a great show today. Um, you know, hopefully we were able to to fill that last hour with a good enough Orioles talk there. We, we got a lot of stuff about the farm system in, which everyone always likes to hear. So um, thanks for tuning in today. And uh, Kyle, any last words? Uh, let's go O's. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm very much in agreement. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in today, and we'll see you next week.